Okay, morning all. <clears throat> so, thanks for inviting me. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the power of the Word of God to bring change, to bring understanding, to bring revelation, to bring insight, and to help us see more clearly who you are so that we can see more clearly who we are. Father, I pray for every one of us, including myself, we will get revelation on what I'm speaking about today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read from um, Luke 9, and I'm talking about the unreasonable Jesus. So we all know how darn unreasonable Jesus is at times, right? Completely. Stu, you know, big love, and Emma. (laughs) Um, When the day was almost over, the 12 came to him and said, I think you need to turn me down because, you know, problem. Um, <clears throat> there's nothing worse than listening to women screech on the platform, really, or anybody, not just women. When the day was almost over, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the nearby villages and countryside and find lodging and food because we're in a deserted place. And he replied, you give them something to eat. But they said, we have no more than five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. They said this because about 5,000 men were present, including they bought, some bought their wives along, some bought their kids, but you know. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, seat them in groups of about 50. They did so and everyone was seated. He took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate until they were full, and the disciples filled 12 baskets with leftovers. Now, you know, Luke doesn't talk about where that food came from, but John does. John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9 says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Now, it's late in the day, and it's been a hectic day, and they're in a backwater, I don't mind. So there's no, I've got 13 grandchildren, so (laughs) it's all right by me, right? It's a backwater. There's no McDonald's. There's no coffee shops. And Jesus is being totally unreasonable as he often was and as he still is. And so he challenges his team and he says to them, you give them something to eat. You're not getting out of this. We're not going to send them away. You give them something to eat. Now imagine being out on the moors after a full day of preaching and crowd control, which these guys were doing and praying. You know, can you imagine how many people they were laying hands on, you know, all the rest of it. And, um, and you don't really care about these people now. I mean, I have been at the end of a long conference and everybody that could possibly have been prayed for has been prayed for. And you're just thinking, all I want to do now is just go home and soak in a bath. And then, you know, somebody comes up with five more people and says, <laughs> could you have a word for each one of these people? Uh, so, so you don't really care about those people. You just want to go home yourself. You want to get an early night. I mean, we're all just people, aren't we? Like, really, underneath it all, we still get hungry. doesn't matter if you're a leader. You're still, like, over it at times. And so these guys were leaders, these 12 people, these 12 disciples. And you just want to get something for yourself to to eat and you want to go to bed. And then Jesus, who you follow because you want to be like him, tells you to feed thousands of people. Now, I don't know if you know what it's like 
in the beach, on the beach in the summer. Like I'm thinking of all the stone, stone beaches. So and we're not talking about South End, but we're talking about Cornwall. You know, in the height of the summer holidays, or let's say Bondi Beach, all those people. Jesus says, I want you to feed. There's thousands of them up and down the sand. And Jesus says, I want you to feed those people. And so it's impossible, except that you know when Jesus tells you to do something, that that can't be the end of the story for you to say, that's enough. And so you ask around, so do the other guys. It's half-hearted because everybody knows there's not going to be enough food here to feed anybody. And then this little kid comes up to Andrew and he tugs on his shirt and he says, hey, mister, I've got my lunch. You're going to have that. Now, have you ever had a really big bill, like a massive bill, thousands of pounds? And then one of your kids is, says, I got a pound 73 in my money box. You're going to have that. Right, well, that's kind of the same as how... Andrew felt about what this guy said, but, you know, <clears throat> he knows that he's going to have to tell Jesus. He wants to tell the kid to shut up and go away and just eat his own lunch, but he has to tell Jesus because the sooner they get it over and done with, when they can legitimately say to, the Je to Jesus, this is all we've got, the sooner they can tell the crowds to go and get their own dinner, which they should have been responsible for in the first place, Liz Jevons would say, right? <laughs> So then they come and they say, here's this kid and he's got, you know, he's got five small, small, small barley loaves and two very tiny fish and that's not going to go very far, right? And so then this amazing miracle happens right in front of their eyes and right in front of the boy's eyes, but not in front of the eyes of the crowd because... They don't know what happened. All they know is that their hungry bellies have been satisfied because whenever God does this massive miracle using our meager little contribution, only the people up closest and most invested get to see that something astonishing just happened and everybody else wonders why there wasn't any mayonnaise or any hot sauce to go with it, right? Now, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's a really good question. Matthew says there's 5,000 men and then there's women and then there's children. Do you think that that little kid was the only person out of, say, 8,000 people to bring his lunch? Out of 8,000 people. Do you think it was only his mother that says... Abraham, by the way, I left a major dinner, a major lunch for tomorrow. I put it in the fridge. Don't forget to take it, you know. Or Abraham, you should make your dinner tonight because you'll be leaving early in the morning. So don't forget to make your dinner so that you can take it with you. No, she was not the only mum who said that. There were a lot of people who brought their own lunch. Maybe hundreds, maybe a couple of thousand people bought their own lunch. You know, only one person gave it. It was a little kid. And what he brought was enough. Let that sink in. What he brought was enough. He had hardly anything to give, but what he brought triggered a miracle. Now, I want to link this with another story, and I'm not going to read it to you, but it is on the screen. <clears throat> we can go through it. 
it's too long, but it's Matthew chapter 25. And to summarize, it's about this rich guy who's going away. And what he wants to do is help his the guys that work with him. He wants to help them get on in life. He wants to teach them stuff about investment and about what it is to work with what you have in order to increase. And so maybe a couple of the guys, the people, know a little bit more than, than one of the others. So to one person, he gives five, you know, five bags of gold. And to one person, he gives two bags of gold. To one person, he gives one bag of gold. And we might think to ourselves, like I used to, why just one bag of gold? Like, why didn't the other guy? But maybe it was because, you know, he was f f frightened kind of person. He was a bit concerned. He didn't really know if he had what it took. And so the guy, the, the guy who gave him the gold isn't just going to load him down with pressure. He just gives him what he feels like that guy could handle. And so then he goes away. And so the guy with the five bags, you know, gets, he doubles it. The guy with the two bags doubles it. The guy with the one bag is scared. Now, there was already that in his life, but he wasn't scared about investing and losing specifically. What he was scared about was the master, what the master would do if he wasn't really good enough. And so what he did was hit it. And so when the master comes back, master gets, you know, he's happy with the first two and he's not happy with the third one. And so we all know that story. Now, I, I've always had a problem with that story because what it seems to imply is that people who are more gifted are somehow more responsible than people who are less gifted, right? And, and that, that is actually not a true thing. This story isn't so much about what you've got, but it is about what you do with what you've got. Now, I am strictly a one-talent person. And anytime I say that, people come up to me afterwards and they try to placate me and make me feel better about myself. <laughs> I don't need that. I feel good about myself. Like, I'm all right, right? I don't need that. But you know, I mean, I can't organize my way out of a paper bag, you know, and when I do the art, you know, when I do, I mean, I can knit, I can knit reasonably, there's not that many holes, but when I try to put it all together, you know, sort of this arm is like that, you know, and the other arm's like that, and I have to stretch the back down to make it kind of fit the front. I'm not a detail person. When Rick and I used to, um, when we were first married and we had our first house and he was working so hard and I was trying to you know, help. And so um, I went and mowed the lawn and he didn't say anything. He just said, thank you. But the second time I mowed the lawn, he took me to the window and he said to me, can you see that the lines aren't straight? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but you know, lawn's mowed. He says, I really appreciate it, babe. Don't mow the lawn anymore. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm just sort of not, not that way inclined. Like I'm not good with you know, accounts, and I'm not good with a whole lot of stuff like that, but I was born a communicator, and my relatives used to say back in the day that I'd swallowed a box of gramophone needles, and so, but the thing is, like a lot of people who are born communicators, I use my gift on myself, so I was my favorite topic of conversation. It was all about me and my opinions and my needs and my complaints, and when I became a Christian, God began to talk to me about who he wanted me to be and how he wanted me to use my giftings according to what he'd created me to be. And I did not know that that would include preaching or writing, although I did kind of feel like maybe I was created and born to edit other people's writing. You know, I, I did feel like that might be a thing, you know. But 
he was asking me to change and he wanted what I said and how I communicated to be less about me and more about other people. Less drama queen and more honest communication. Less opinionizing and more understanding. Less talking, more listening. Less know-it-all, more willingness to learn that I didn't know what I didn't know and there's so much that I don't know. And I really wanted God to use me. I, wanted, I really wanted to be a worship leader. <laughs> and the truth of it is, I do sing like a bird. I don't know whether any of you have ever seen a sulfur-crested cockatoo flying across the... <laughs> and they go... Bark, bark, bark. <laughs> so, so worship leading wasn't my... You know, it didn't end up to be the thing, although, you know... I mean, still, like, you know, there still could be. And so um, I wanted God to give me talents that I thought were more kind of important, but he wanted me to use the talent that he gave me, which was communication. And the more I began to use it for him, the more I realized how important it was not to lean on the talent, but to lean on the God that gave the talent. And that made my, you know, that gave me the ability that the talent could become a godly thing and not a tool to make myself feel more important. And so my five loaves and two fishes are like love of language and words and people and having a clear message and making sure that people are heard when they are saying something, making sure that they're seen and valued. And so those things, you know, the truth of it is, it isn't much especially among millions of Christians who are all doing their best to serve the Lord. But even though it isn't much, it's what I have to contribute. It's my five loaves and two fishes because the story of the gold is not about the person with the five and the two being higher caliber people than the person with the one. And, you know, I often want to write this story in a different way and turn it on its head and make it that the rich guy gave the five bags of gold to one and the two to another and the one to another. And the one with the five lost sight that her investment was for the king. And she went off to make her fortune because she was drop dead gorgeous and she had a great voice and she was really good at business and she'd networked amazingly and her parents had been wealthy and so she knew all the right people and so she got really rich and famous. And the other person with the two bags became a corporate executive and used his power to get more power and a yacht and a mansion and two holiday homes. And so the one with the one talent, this is me, it might be you, the one with one talent just got involved and began to look for ways to invest themselves and encourage other people with their measly little one talent and they supported and they encouraged and they kept asking the Lord how he wanted them to use what they had and he kept showing them and in the process and here is the miracle the bag of gold just never ran out there was always enough even though it was still just one bag there was always enough it's like it's like a candle you can light 50 other candles and still have your own light, full, clear, amazing. And so when the rich guy comes back, he finds the one with the two and the one with the five didn't have anything to show for it because they'd used it up on their fame and their fortune or their comfort or their pride or their fear. But the one with the one talent had this never-ending supply. There was always enough. 
because whenever they looked for God, how to use it, he kept on replenishing the supply. Now, I look at people like Beyonce and Katy Perry and Elvis Presley, who began by living pretty much the same as we do, with the same faith, using the same language that we use. But the more their talents became about them, the less about the giver of the talents it became. And that's just not singers. Like, that's business people and executives and medical people and politicians and educators. It's any sector of society. If, I, if I'm using it up on me, yep, okay, we're all born with abilities and with giftings. Some of us have got more and some of us have got less. But what we have came from God and it came from God not just for us but to invest for him. And so he's inviting us to work with him in the family business. Now, just think this one through. Imagine your mum or your dad was, you know, the owner of, what's a big, was the owner of Apple. Was the owner of Apple. They started Apple and they're the owner of Apple. And you've just finished high school. And, and that, that parent says, do you want to come and join me in the family business? I'm going to um, give you your own office, corner office. You're going to be looking out on the um, green fields out there and the deer grazing out there somewhere. And I'm going to put you in charge of manufacturing or sales. Well, you would, you would kind of say, well, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I can do that. I think that's a bit too much, you know. Can I start somewhere a little bit further down if I just manage Hong Kong or something, you know. And, um, and so, but the point of it is, our father is inviting us to join the family business. And he's not saying, kid, you've got to start at the bottom. He's saying, come alongside, I'll show you what to do, I'll help you do it. Um, you and me, we're working together in the family business. We're building the kingdom of heaven. And you might not feel like you're equipped or able or that you have the capacity or 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 any of those things. But he just says, all I'm asking you to do is the thing that, I've, that I want you to do now. And then from that point on, then I'll ask you the next thing. I'll show you. I'll teach you. It will work out. Don't worry. Don't have to be afraid. And one of my scriptures that I lean on a lot is Psalm 119 verse 105. And I think it's very relevant at this, in this particular context, certainly relevant for me, is that you know, the Word of God is not an electric light that you can turn on and just see all the obstacles and see what to avoid and how to get there. The Word of God is a lamp, and all we can do is hold it up and see where we're standing and what the next step is. And when we get there, we hold it up and we see what we're standing. You're waiting for me to fall over the edge? And then what the next step is, right? And that's all we have to do. All we have to do when he invites us into the family business and asks for our little five loaves and two fish, he's just saying, yeah, I'm going to use you and it's going to be amazing. And we're like, I, I, no, because. And he says, all you have to do is see where you are now and what the next thing to do is. That's all any of us need. So Ephesians 2.10 says that we were designed and equipped for his plans and purposes. And then we get the choice about what to do regarding his plans and purposes. So it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. 
And that's like when you when helping your, your kid make a cake, you get out the bowl and the flour and the eggs and the sugar and the cocoa and all the rest of it, and you've got a little stool there and you stand next to them and you help them put it all in and you measure it. Then you put it in the oven and you take it out of the oven and then that kid gets to carry the cake into the visitors and, and say, look what I made. And that's what, that's what this is, that scripture is about, the fact that he, he prepared us beforehand and he put in us what we needed to have. And it seems like, I mean, really, he's the one who did all the extra bits. But, but we got it done. That, you've got it done. You've got it done. Big love is, I mean, not just big love, everywhere, all across this, this place, people are doing things amazing for God because they just took the next step. And so every one of us is made in the image of God. Every single person, every person out there, they could be homeless, vomiting in the gutter, high as a kite. They're still the image of God. It's still the image of God. And so we're all the image of God. And we reflect parts of him. We reproduce tiny fragments of who God is. Some get one major ability or maybe a minor ability that becomes major because they work with it. And some get two or five or whatever, according to our capacity. To, I mean, for me, I'm very clear on the fact that I actually have only got the capacity, really, to carry one thing. Don't come to me afterwards and tell me anything because I don't feel bad about that. That's not a problem to me, right? So, But I'm just saying, it doesn't matter if you've only got the capacity to carry one thing or two things. Carry it. Just carry it. It doesn't, and you can carry it and enlarge it. It can become absolutely astonishing, but it's just a tiny part of who Christ is that we are reflecting and showing. And so that's very powerful revelation when you're in a church because that means it's about your investment, it's about belonging. It's about what you can bring to make all the difference, not only to what your church looks like, but also to what your community looks like. And we were made to contribute. That's the truth of it. We were made to belong. We were made to be involved and give what we have to make the church of Jesus Christ beautiful and strong and empowering and clean and full of joy, alive and buzzing. And that sense of belonging is under major attack right now all across the Western church and for good reason because if we can be separated from each other as church, then we are fragmented and our effectiveness against the work of the enemy is diminished. And if ever, I mean, I, would, I could spend a week on a, on a seminar talking about what God is wanting to do with the church in this new season when everything that can be shaken will be shaken and is being shaken. I'd like to talk about that at large. I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to say to you is the church of Jesus Christ is his body. You can leave it. You can stay at home, but you're still in the church. And the only thing that happens is that all the things we can criticize the church for are even more um, are even more impacting because it wouldn't be it would be better if you were there. You if you were bringing your lunch to that place, there would maybe be a little less to criticize because you're bringing that thing. And so, 
the differences of opinion and cynicism and bitterness, when those things become our main thing, it separates us from each other. If I had one message to preach all the days of my life, I'd be preaching about forgiveness and repentance. And it, it says to me, I'm looking at the way that the body of Christ across the world, particularly in the West, is being fragmented, specifically because people want to speak about each other to each other and they don't want to forgive. And it was such a big lesson for me to learn to forgive. I'm never going to forget it because it means I don't live in bitterness. And so it's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. And so when that kid says to Andrew, hey, mister, you can have my lunch, he represents you and me because even though we're created in his image, we can often doubt how anything that we could contribute would make a difference. In the deepest parts of our heart, we want to make a difference, you know, and the world won't generally see that. Our names won't be in light, in light, up in lights. We won't be living the Instagram kind of difference dream. No, that won't. That's not the way it happens. But that's not the purpose of our little packed lunch. Because the Church of Christ is an organism, not an organization. It's alive and it's blooming. You know, it's buzzing with life and energy. It's awash with grace and with love. And yes, it's got problems. I'm not saying it doesn't. But our little packed lunches contribute far beyond anything we could ever know to the nourishment and to the invigoration of the church, enabling it to go the distance for the next stage of the journey, which is the stage that we are alive and responsible for. So like that little boy, no one will probably ever know our names but that doesn't matter because what matters is the difference that it made to around 8,000 people. And we still know the story even though we don't know his name. And, you know, the big thing about that is think about it. Some people might have had chicken salad and white wine. Some people might have had posho and rice or pad thai. Or they might have had miso platter. Or they might have had, I don't know, they might have had hamburger and chips. But none of it is relevant because they weren't, those things weren't given to Jesus. Those lunches weren't, they might have been luxurious, but they weren't given to Jesus. So the five loaves and two fish are not only used for the glory of God, but they're also for the nurture and encouragement of people who wanted to understand who Jesus could be to them. So now we are surrounded by crowds inside and outside the church. People trying to work out how relevant Jesus Christ is to their lives. And we are part of the crowd, but we are also the disciples. And Jesus says to us, hey, you give these guys something to eat. And we think, I've only got my own lunch. Definitely not enough to go around. Some people thought that what they had wasn't enough. Some people were worried that if they gave what they have, there wouldn't be any left for themselves. Some people thought that people would laugh at their lunch because it was a different kind of food and think their lunch was stupid or meager or, or different or inadequate. But those people also were fed by the five loaves and the two fish. The miracle was for them too. Just because they didn't give anything didn't mean that they didn't receive anything. But what they didn't get was the enormous satisfaction of knowing that the thing that they gave triggered this massive miracle and fed 8,000 people. Now, this is the final thing that I want to say. Before the, the food was distributed, the Bible said that Jesus blessed it and then he broke it, just like he did on the 
on the communion before, before he died, before he was crucified. When we come to know the Lord Jesus, the first thing that happens is he blesses us. But I don't know if you've noticed this. We also end up broken. Every one of us is broken. We just don't know each other's stories. We're, we're a blessed people, but we're also a broken people. And so often out of our brokenness comes what we have to bring. Out of our brokenness is that, that, you know, our loss, our inadequacy, our confusion, our drastic times of rejection and shame and fear. When those things are brought to the Lord, he blesses it, even though it's broken, and it becomes nourishment and encouragement. Now, it's about being one body. I don't have much. But what I do have, I give to you. And what you have, you give to us. And the body of Christ, in all its fragmentation and inadequacy, is nurtured and supported and sustained and developed. And it grows to the glory of God. All because we gave back to God the thing that he designed into the core of our being so that he can distribute it among his people. And there is nothing as satisfying as that. Now, we are in a time when what we were made for is more vital to be given than ever at any other point. The world is at war with itself in a million different ways, in our climate, among people groups, genders, races, cultures, if there was ever a time when the Lord was calling us to shake off fear of not being enough or not having enough, this is the season now for that. What you bring to inadequately and from a broken place and with questions that you haven't got answers to and with confusion and with wounds, but what we bring and we contribute to the body of Christ not only causes the church to grow more healthy and more strong, but it goes further out. It goes outside these walls and something new happens. Something new takes place because the church is functioning, not in perfection, but according to what how the Lord has blessed and encouraged it. And so it goes to Skylark and the Skylark churches. It goes to the areas you work in, it goes to Chelmsford, it goes to Essex, but it goes beyond that as well. And even though most people are never going to know your name or my name, the world is changed by your little offering, the offering of your life. The world is changed because of the offering of your life, your little life and your little gifts and my little life and my little gifts and we bring them. We just say, hey, God, I've got £1.73. You can have that. And God does something astonishing. And it's overwhelming to me, the power of the presence of God on our little loaves and our little fish. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so, we're so, we're so inadequate. That's what it is. We're just so inadequate. There's so much that we don't have. There's so much that we can't do. There's so many things that we're worried about giving in case we won't have enough. And yet, Lord, 
oh, Jesus, you came, you left everything, you left all of that, and you came down to our broken little toxic world, naked and unafraid of giving your whole self so that we would be changed and we would be saved. And so, Father, now we ask you that by the power of your Spirit, you will work a work in us, that you will help us deal with the fear. I'm not even going to pray that you will take away our fear, Lord, because I know that you're saying to us, you deal with your fear, you reject your fear, you stop being afraid and begin to, to trust in me. And so, Lord, we, we lay ourselves before you, really. That's what we're doing. And we're just saying, it's only a little lunch. It's not really all that much. It looks pretty silly, especially when you put it against the need. And yet, Lord God, as soon as we give ourselves to you, you do this astonishing miracle. And, and, and we don't even know how amazing that miracle is. Lord, we ask your forgiveness. So when we've said, you know, where was the mayonnaise and where was the hot sauce? We're sorry, Lord God, that we do that. But Lord, by the power of your spirit, we, we lay ourselves before you and we say, this is me, Lord. This is what I've got. Can you use it? And Lord, that you just take what we've got and that you'll do massive miracles with it. In Jesus' name, amen.